So we're starting a new series called Changed. And we're going to run this all the way through to the end of November. And next week, Pastor Glenn will be speaking and, and uh, I'm kicking it off. And we're, we're building a picture of what it really means for the gospel to change our lives and for the power of change to take place. And the reason this is so important is because often the reality of what we uh, preach and what we experience are two very different things. True? That's not the way it should be, however, because Christ wants to change our lives. And I was uh, thinking about this because very often there is a hole that exists. When I first um, married Michelle, I decided to take her on some trips. We got married in December, December the 20th. And then in the new year, I thought, oh, I'll take my new bride on an adventure around the world. And we went to a number of places. We went, so the first place I took her in January was Edmonton. And... It was minus 40, and I, I, the coldest place on the planet that day, and I was speaking at something in a, um, a, a retreat. In fact, the, uh, the pastor who organized that retreat all those years ago, 18 years ago, uh, is in the congregation here. And, and so we went, and, and then I said, you know, one day I feel called that we might end up pastoring in Canada. And she hated the idea. Um, but because, you know, Edmonton, uh, so cold. But, but we went to West Edmonton Mall. And, and, but I did, well, it got better because then I took it to Phoenix. And while I was in Phoenix, I said, darling, darling, there's something I want to show you. I love this. This is wonderful. It's amazing. I've been looking at this since a young man. You know, I love um, uh, uh, astronomy. That's astronomy, not astrology. And... And I love this, and let's go and see. And so I took her to Metro Crater, and here we have a little picture. I took her there. So she went, and as she went, I drove six miles, six hours out of the way to get there, and we went obviously in a plane, and I stood at the end, and she said, it's a hole. I said, but it's not any hole. This is impact. This is a fantastic hole. This is amazing. It's a hole. I said, oh. So I didn't impress her that much. And she was pregnant with twins by that time. So she felt sick and I took her there. But I loved every moment. But it was a hole. Now this week in St. Albans, this has been useful because Gemma and Ben in Britain were asleep in bed. Gemma is 42 weeks or just about due, completely pregnant. And there's a rumbling in the night. Now I don't know these people personally, although I sound like I know Ben and Gemma because that's, you know... England's such a small place. And, and they woke up and, and Ben went to the window and said, Darling, what? The road's gone. And there we have a picture of this. You may have seen it in the news. Where in the middle of the night, a massive sinkhole appeared outside of Gemma and Ben's house. She did say to the BBC News, was this, that if anything is going to bring on the baby, this will. And so, so there is the sinkhole. Now, wouldn't it be weird? There's um, uh, Ben and Gemma live there. And, and, and uh, this appeared in their lives. Wouldn't it be weird if, if they spent the rest of their married life with their new baby uh, walking around a hole that existed, pretending the hole did not exist. The truth is this, 
That lots of Christians in our homes, in our lives, we pretend that there's a hole that, it, that doesn't exist, but we know in the center a hole exists. That there are problems, there are things that need to be sorted out, there is change that needs to be taken the place, and yet there's this hole at the center of some of our homes, at the center of our lives, at the center of the way of our Christianity, and it's a hole that is being filled in by the wrong things. And true change happens when it is filled in by the right things. Let's start off for a moment with... Um, with, with 2 Peter 1 verse 3. And in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, it talks about becoming godly and understanding godliness. Let's read it together. Uh, let me read it. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is amazing that his divine power has been given Everything we need. This is what it states. Everything you need to do your Christianity, God has given it to you. Wow. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Participation. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by the evil desires. This is good stuff. This is explaining that as Christians, we have been given so much, that God has blessed us, that God is at work, that we're participants, that his presence is there. Let's go on what two people. Peter goes on to say, for the, the world caused by evil, for this very reason, make every effort, effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being infected and ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brilliant. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past. Who is this talking about? It's talking about Christians. It's talking about a problem within our Christianity that can take place, that we can become nearsighted and we can become blind. And this is the problem that within Christianity and our practice of it is that very often we have become blinded that goodness has suddenly disappeared from our heart and the way that we are. That we understand that the knowledge of Christ has started to dim and we've started to lose focus on this. We start to understand that self-control is no longer the center of our life in our homes. We start to understand that, that, that this perseverance in our prayers, in our Bible reading, in our life is disappearing. We start to see that, that godliness is disappearing, that mutual love for one another, instead of loving the body of Christ and loving people, we resent the body of Christ and love disappears. You see, when blindness comes... Problems happen in our lives spiritually. 
And the great apostle Paul, is, Peter, is writing these words and he's saying, listen, there's a danger out there. There's a danger that believers have everything, but they lack, they lack things because they've become spiritually nearsighted and spiritually blind. And that's why change isn't happening in their lives. This is challenging. Well, what can make me nearsighted? To stop seeing the horizon, to stop seeing what's good, to stop seeing what's happening. What can affect me to make me blind in my Christianity? Maybe it's the tyranny of urgent that you're always too busy. You're always going for it. You're always stressed out. You're always urgent. Everything becomes urgent. Everything becomes, becomes something, a part of our culture. Or maybe it's that we are become consumed by success. Our own success. I don't know. Maybe it's sparkly, wonderful, gorgeous things in our lives. That suddenly things, that hole around our lives, that sinkhole that spiritually is present, that is making us blind, if you like, is being filled with urgency. It's being filled with our agenda. It maybe is being filled with our success. Or maybe it's being filled with things we acquire in life, that they become the focus of who we are. Or maybe it's that we just will not own up to the problems we have within our our lives and this blindness comes so for real change to happen we have to work out where the spiritual blindness is happening in our lives three symptoms of spiritual blindness that cause this symptom number one I want to talk about for a few moments is this that we learn from this nearsightedness and blindness. A blindness and underestimating the presence and power of indwelling sin. There is a danger that what happens is that we look at our lives and we realize that there's an, a, blindness within, a blindness within us that we underestimate the, the power of sin at work within our lives. We have to take it always back to our sin because sin is the battle that takes place within us. Sin is present. Sin is at work. Sin can make us blind and being willing to address our sin and take seriously our own sinfulness is, is, is a way of, of, of changing our lives just by acknowledging that. And I know that it's not popular to preach about sin. And yet sin is the cause of our problems and Jesus came to eradicate that sin from our lives. And that hole in our life now can be changed. And the problem is, is that we, we replace God with other things. You see, Jesus should be the center of everything in our lives. Jesus should be number one. It's all about Jesus in our lives. And the nearsightedness and the blindness, the first thing you stop seeing in your life is Jesus Christ. And when you stop seeing Jesus Christ, the sinkhole comes, the emptiness comes, sin starts to fill in that hole and things start to happen because you lose sight of Jesus. Do not replace and return Jesus for something else in your life. See, I love Costco. Hey, 
I love Costco because no matter what you buy, they say, if something happens to it, you can return it hassle-free. Hey, I love it. I bought Michelle a, um, an, a little robot vacuum cleaner. I may have told you that. Guys, if you want to bless your marriage and you want to know the presence of God in your home, buy a robot vacuum machine. Uh, the Lord told me to buy it and it was brilliant. I mean, forget marriage courses, uh, a vacuum. Um, it's amazing. But this has broken a couple of times. I said, I bought it from Costco. Very exciting. And when it stops working, I take it back and get a new one. Don't take Jesus back and get something new. Never. Because there's this replacement that can happen. The second blindness is that we lose sight of what I like to call the here and the now. What do I mean by that? The here and the now gap in the gospel also causes us to be blind to God's provision. As evangelicals, and you may be new to this, as Christians we are very good at talking about what we have been saved from. I've been saved from sin. I've been saved from judgment. I've been saved from this. There was a day when I was saved and we're very good at talking about what we're looking forward to, correct? God's gift of eternal life, the resurrection of the dead, the gift of eternity in heaven. There is what we look forward, but what we fail to do is remember the here and the now. God and the power of the gospel wants to be with you here and now. I don't know what you're facing in your family. I don't know what you're going through. But if I know the many stories that I do know, it can be tough. It can be a challenge. You can have failures and disappointments. You can feel the difficulty within your life and you can know that this exists. But the truth is this, that God wants to be with you in the here and the now. That he wants to give you the strength. He wants to give you the power. He wants to be with you now. Christianity works today. You walk out of this church, you go home, you start to commune with Christ. Christianity is alive and well. Christ's spirit is with you and it works today, here and now. And when we have problems, it's because we've lost the here and now. We've lost that closeness. We've lost that reality that when I got up this morning, Jesus was with me. The third gospel blindness is a blindness to God's process. He will do whatever he needs to produce holiness in us. We find this difficult to cope with. <laughs> Why do we find it difficult to cope with? Because what we forget is, is that when we became a Christian, we didn't just become a Christian and become happy. We became a Christian and we entered into a process to become more like Jesus. See, the most important thing to God is that you become like Jesus. He wants us all to become like Jesus. And change really happens when we surrender ourselves and we yield ourselves to that process. And allow him to mold us and to shape us and to change us and to enter into that process. Now, this is hard for us to understand. 
But let me just say this honestly, and this is my discovery, and it's probably yours as well if you're honest. The truth is this, God is less interested in my temporal happiness than he is in me becoming like Christ. I have a little quote here that captures that idea. And it says, he wants us to become a community of joy, absolutely. But he is willing to compromise our temporal happiness in order to increase our Christ-likeness. We find that difficult to come to terms with. Because the truth is, we experience tough things in life. The truth is, life is hard. Life is difficult. The truth is, we face battles. But I know from my own life, is that God is less interested in my happiness and more interested in me becoming like Christ. And how do I become like Christ? I become like Christ... Let's be honest, we become like Christ as we are challenged by life. So God's not there to kind of create my perfect environment by which everything is going to be wonderful and, and that my whole Christian life becomes like a... A Sparkling Hills experience. Have you been to Sparkling Hills? We went a few years ago. It's amazing. People, everything sparkles. And it's wonderful. And we're going there for my 50th after we've had the whole church round for two days. Basically, because I'll need it. And... And it's wonderful, but, but life with God is not a continuous sparkling hills experience where God attends to all your needs in your life in a perfect way. He loves you too much. He wants you to become like the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He wants you to become like Jesus. And you're wondering, why isn't my life always happy? Why am I not always content? Why is it a struggle in my life? I'll tell you why, because God wants Want you to learn to become like Jesus. That's hard for us to take in. But the bumps in the road create that perseverance. You see, what is his ultimate goal? His goal is that we don't fill that hole in with other things, but we fill it in with, with him. You see... In, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, and um, it talks, verse 5, it talks about we demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, when you look at this verse, I love this word pretension because it is the arguments and ideas that come in pretension that create the problem to the Christian. What do I mean by that? Well, pretension is very simply a lie that is plausible and believable. And what happens is, is that our lives can be full of other things. And they can be like good things. They are plausible 
things, but they fill our lives. They can be even plausible Christian things like legalism, formalism, about even mysticism, that, that, that in our Christian faith we become obsessed by certain things and certain, you know, you've got to do it this way, or you've got to be this, or you have to do this. We become obsessed by other things and philosophies and pretensions that take us away from a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And the true way that every one of us changes in the heart of our hearts is to get rid of the plausible lies in our life and concentrate on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do. And so it demolishes. You see... I could say, hello, my name is Phil Collins. And uh, yes, yes, I am. I am a Russian gymnast, Olympic Russian gymnast. And you look at me and go, hmm, that's a lie. I mean, obviously I'm not. Good look at me. I mean, I'm not. And there's nothing about me that is gymnastic. I can't even touch my toes. <laughs> Hallelujah. And... You know, you look at me, yes, yes, I was in the 1976 Olympics with yoga, yoga, or whatever her name was, and all of this, and I was amazing. You go, well, that is a lie, and it's not, there is, it's not plausible. It's a pretension. You are pretending to be something when you're really obviously not. But when I travel around Canada and I get on an aeroplane, I get on an aeroplane, and people often say to you, what do you do for a living? I never tell them. Mainly because it ends the conversation. This is what I say to them, guess. And they look at me, I say, I'll give you three guesses. It's a great way of getting it going and have a joke. And they guess and they guess. And I won't tell you that some of the few things they've guessed. But, but you know, they'll say, well, are you a young entrepreneur? Young, I like that. Are you... Are you a designer, graphic designer? Uh, and I could pretend to be any of those things. Are you an architect? Those are plausible lies, but they're untrue. And what happens is, is that the devil is incredibly sophisticated at bringing plausibility to a situation which will always take us away from Jesus Christ himself. Seek after Jesus, love Jesus, put Jesus first, put him as number one. Jesus is there, he is number one. It's all about Jesus. There are loads of religious ideas out there. There are loads of pretensions that will bind us in legalism, bind us up in formalism, bind us up in kind of spiritual mysticism. No, the most beautiful thing and person to focus on in our life is Jesus Christ. And that's where real freedom comes because I've only ever found freedom when I've come close to Jesus. And so it's amazing. And so that we understand and, and, and basically it boils down to five things. And I will just mention these five things, but in our lives we need to really understand the extent and the gravity of our sin. Don't underestimate the power of sin in our lives. We've all fallen. The centrality of the heart. God wants to change our whole life. When scripture talks about heart, it talks about body, 
our soul, our, our, our spirit, all of all who we are, our emotions, everything. And we've got to bring Jesus into every area of those areas. The, pre- the present benefits of Christ. We forget the here and now. We forget the present benefits. God's calling to grow and to change. Every one of us is called every day of our life to keep changing, to become more like Jesus. And can I tell you, becoming more like Jesus isn't drab, isn't boring, isn't negative. It is magnificent. It is the greatest way to live your life. To be like Jesus. And that comes through a lifestyle of repentance and faith. Repentance isn't a negative thing. Repentance is a beautiful thing. It's a joyous experience. Yes, we realize the pain of it. But we realize that we've got a loving God that cares for us. I am continually improving. I'm continually in the process. Look at this guy. He's amazing. Michael Jordan, there he is. Just look at that. Uh, You know, I know very little about basketball, by the way. I'm sorry. The world rugby's on, and I'm mourning because England has been knocked out, and my Welsh friends are laughing at me. But... I know very little, but here he is, Michael Jordan. When you read his biography, he says, you know, he's famous because he, uh, as many shots as he hit, he missed. 50% he hit, 50% he missed. And he was famous because he would go very early in the morning before even the rookies got there and he would practice. And they said, why? He said this. He said, While there is room for improvement, I will keep pushing for that. And there he is, getting in the ball into the poopy thing. And it's called a basket. Thank you, Brian. Hallelujah. Into the, into, the, into the basket, which makes no sense because he's got a hole in. Uh, but... He's amazing, and, and, and this has to be our heart. While there is room for improvement, I'm going to keep pushing forward. And the time that you will be made perfect, when you see him face to face. And I'm going to keep the process going. I'm going to keep changing in my life. I'm going to keep letting the gospel change me. I'm not going to let goss, I'm not going to let blindness or nearsightedness rob me of becoming more like Christ. I have experienced, uh, my girls played in grade seven basketball, girl grade seven basketball. <sighs> that is carnage. Um, seeing grade seven girl, anyway, sorry. Um, move on to Colossians 2 for a moment. It says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Beautiful. See it that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophies. Stop right there. We're not talking about blindness now. We're talking about being taken captive. That word literally means 
Your faith is kidnapped by hollow and empty, deceptive philosophies that take you captive. And when they take you captive, who do they take you away from? They take you away from Jesus Christ. And there's a danger that we can be taken captive. See, these dangerous philosophies, you can spot a dangerous philosophy, a false teaching, a philosophy by one thing. I'll tell you this very simply. You can spot a false philosophy because it makes you great and makes everything else less. A false philosophy, no matter where it comes from, where it is, is about your fulfillment and your greatness, not about his. When you become number one and you're being driven away and you're not close to Christ, there's a danger that you've been taken captive. See, these false philosophies always talk about, oh, you know, embrace them and do this and your emptiness will find fulfillment and you'll find self-contentment and you'll find this and, and that hole within your life will be filled. Can I tell you something? I have never been empty. Never been empty. When I was a non-Christian, I was never empty. Because human beings are always full of something. There's a cauldron within us that is either full, has been full of stuff. We're always full of something. There wasn't a place before I found Christ. Oh, I was full. I wasn't empty. I was full of anger. I was full of lust. I was full of darkness. I was full of lies. I was full of frustration. I have always been full. But I've got to choose what I'm going to fill my life with. And we can either be full of our cauldron of our sin or we can be full of the presence of Christ. And false philosophies make us great and they kidnap us and take us away from our first love and that is Jesus. You see, let me finish here. I'm going to say something that's going to surprise you. But it's gospel. And this is what I'm going to say. I have discovered that it's okay for me to be tiny. No, I'm not talking about my height. I'm talking about me. What do you mean? I mean that when I am faced with the cross and I am faced with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and his love and the sacrifice of God's only son on that cross, I don't want to be great. I'm tiny. Yes, I'm full of failure. Yes, I am full of shame. Yes, I am full. 
It's only when I am willing to acknowledge that I am tiny, that I'm not great, that I am broken, that I am unable to do this without his grace and his love. And in my meekness, in my smallness, in my, not my greatness, in my humility, in my brokenness, I look into the eyes of the cross. It's then I realize the majesty, the beauty, the depth, the amazing nature of God himself. Does that make sense? We spend so much time worrying about being great when we've got to learn to just give up and let him take everything. And I'm all right with being tiny. I'm okay. I've learned to be okay because I am faced with the vastness of God Almighty. And yet, he teaches me this. And the scripture goes on, and we haven't got time. Three things. In verses 9 to 10 in Colossians 2, you are full in Christ. See, when I learn to give it up and let go, I become full in Christ. He then says, we have a new record, all our wrongs have gone, and we have a new power which flows out of putting Christ first and being full in Christ. And then it goes on and says, we are set free in Christ. All change happens when I give up myself and I surrender everything to Jesus. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. When I was away praying, I asked the Lord, what is this about? What is ministry about? What, is, what are we building at Willow Park Church? What am I building in my life? What is the most important thing, the number one? And you know what the Lord whispered to me and showed me? was the most important number one issue is to encourage people to meet with him. Jesus first. Not our glory, not our ego, not our success, not how great we are, but come to Jesus first. Jesus first. What should I do as a pastor? Keep pushing them that they'll find me first. What should I do in my ministry as the lead pastor of what is a beautiful church? Compel them to let go of false ideas that take away from me and put me first. Learn that, teach them that it's a beautiful thing to be with me. And to put me first. Let's stand together.
right now, why don't you reach out again and put Jesus first? This is where real change happens. Put Jesus first. Sing this song and put Jesus first. Reach out and put Jesus first.